The Outspoken Bible. Conversations about the Word. A podcast from Scottish Bible Society. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 11 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Jen Robertson. Hello, Jen. Hi, good to be here. And Neil Glover. Hello, Neil. Hiya. Hello. Bonjour. Now, let's... <laughs> Sorry, I caught you a bit off guard there, didn't yeah. I? Uh, let's crack on with correspondence now as you know I held back some correspondence from last time mm-hmm. and in the meantime we've actually had some more coming in so so much so that I've had to print it off on a separate sheet today so good it's very exciting this is what we like very exciting. I love it I love it so yeah keep it coming folks it is really good to hear from you um first off we've got something from Rachel McNeil now Rachel you remember is a I was going to say a frequent correspondent. She's a she's a fairly regular correspondent. We've spoken to her before, and, and Jen particularly about intergenerational stuff. So she has popped on to tell us about other podcasts. She says, I hope you're well. After listening to the latest Outspoken Bible, you asked about what other podcasts people listen to, so I thought I'd give you an insight into my listening habits. My top three, wait for this, everybody, that I never miss and always listen to on the day that they drop are Parenting Hell, Off Menu, and The Outspoken Aww. Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Now she says, "I love that I love that you're up there with two of the biggest podcasts in the UK." And then she puts, "For me, at least." Uh, do you know what your listening figures are? Now I looked those up before we um, started. I think we're. It's always hard to track down what listening figures are. We we basically have had about thirty-one and a half thousand downloads over time, which is pretty good going. Over, I think over all time. Over all time, and I think we average about something between one hundred and two hundred twenty downloads for the first month of each episode. So again, not shabby. Oh, sorry, um, what was Rachel's second? Um, I was, one I was thinking that off menu. Because I don't listen to either of them, and I'm going to. Well, I was thinking what I'm going to do with all of this list that everybody is sending. I'm going to put it onto the show notes, and I was actually thinking we could maybe put it on social media. And if we do that, we could tag people, and then we might get a bit of uh, traction on that. Um, oh, that's so she... uh, James Acaster. He's very funny. Yeah, off menu. I hadn't heard of it before. Um, so listening to comedy, it says Rachel, has become my way of switching off, especially during COVID, and it's a habit that's continued. The parenting hell boys, as well as being hilarious, often chat about more serious things like mental health issues and some of the hard things that many parents are facing day to day. Other faith-based podcasts I listen to are The Bible for Normal People. I dip in and out of this one. Yeah. Dip in, yeah, and she says that she's also read a couple of his books, actually, which have been pretty key to her own faith development in the last five years. Um, she found it really helpful while going through a period of deconstruction and questioning around faith. And uh, she says, Jen occasionally throws out a Peter Enns quote on the podcast, which always makes me smile. Uh, she also says, Rend Collective have a podcast called Where's the Joy in That, which is mostly just banter around Christian topics. It's fun and lighthearted, and they always say go elsewhere for proper answers <laughs> to questions around faith others i occasionally listen to are cake bowlers everything oh, yeah. happens neil spoke about her in a recent podcast and the nomad podcast depending on the topic and then she mentions a couple of um sermon based uh, podcasts one church in brighton where um, they were for three years when they lived there and kxc which is a london-based church at king's cross recommended by a friend keep up the good podcasting work she says i appreciate that now and i think this is good she says i appreciate that now you always say if you haven't read the passage it would be a good time to pause and do that Uh, i never used to read the passages before listening but now that you say it i do actually pause (laughs) and either read or play the passage audio if i'm walking love the segments but no idea what neil's train of thought is connecting to the different b-list characters well you need to listen to last week's last time's podcast rachel when that was revealed. Good to hear from you. I'm going to reveal it again today because I'm going to change it. Excellent. 
I was going to say excellent, but I'm not sure about that, Neil. Well, the secret's out, so I needed another connecting theme. Oh, that, it's a sort of riddle within a riddle, like that. So, thank you, Rachel. Uh, second person who got in touch was Shan Miller. Now, I think she's an Aberfeldy person. She is, yeah. yeah. Yes, she says hello. Sheehan. Sheehan, I'm sorry, Sheehan. I'm not getting, I'm not doing well. It's with okay, the, it could be pronounced Shan. The correspondence issue is yeah. tricky, isn't it? Um, thank you for continuing the podcast, which I always look forward to. I think you were asking for other podcasts, so I'd like to add my own choices to the list. They are Philosophize This, Ooh. Conflicted, right. Gone Medieval, oh, yeah, yeah. And, the, and The Ancient World. So there's a oh. definite historical theme there, uh, Sheehan. Yeah, yeah. And she says with best wishes, Sheehan Miller from Aberfeldy. Next up, next up, we've got somebody who was mentioned a few weeks ago. It's Ray Wallace, a.k.a. Alistair's mum. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Hi gang, says Ray Thank you for the mention With a little laughing out loud face um, Yes, I am still listening And I find your chat is very helpful As an online Bible reading group You're all very open and honest Which is refreshing, reassuring and informative I promise to plug it more That's what we like to hear, Ray Thank you Now, as far as podcasts go She says, I listen to The rest is politics oh, The rest yeah. is history yeah. The news agents Speak lives Sorry, speak life and yourselves. Oh, I think we're in pretty good company. Exalted there. company there. <laughs> you really are. Maybe, maybe Gary work. Lineker will buy us. He owns <laughs> the first two of those, doesn't he? I mean, maybe we just need to tag him, don't we? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> keep up the, the good work, she says. Thank you for that, Ray. Now, next up, Louise Clement. No, oh, to, yeah. I think all of us here used to be Louise Thompson. Hello, lovely peoples. This is not on podcast, by the way. This is on something else. Um, hello, lovely people. Hope this finds you all well. Just had to email in after listening to the latest podcast as you were talking about the song Walking and Leaping and Praising God. And just the night before, I had been reading that story at bedtime to Reuben and Charlotte and had sung them that song. <laughs> <laughs> so funny to hear you talk about it the next day. I really enjoy listening to you guys as it feels like hanging out with friends, because it kind of is, she says. Uh, it's hard to find a quiet time to do that. Uh, so it's often as I put the shopping away on a Wednesday whilst Charlotte has a nap. <laughs> I like this detail. And it's good just to have my thoughts turned towards God in the middle of a busy family life. So thanks for what you're doing. For what you're doing. Love, Louise, of the Clements variety. My memory of Louise is she and I used to help at a youth club together in Spittle, which I know both of you know, uh, just across the road from Blair Beth. And we had one night where some people started playing music and line dances and Louise and all these girls, and it was mainly girls, knew all these line dances and they just <laughs> danced them for, oh, I don't know how many they did. It must be nine or ten of them. And and she was just surrounded by all these girls doing all these line dances and I was seriously impressed. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> She's got the same birthday as me. Did you know that? Yes. She's nine years younger exactly than I am. Uh, so hello to you, Louise. And if, no, not finally, because I think we've got another one uh, which I need to come back to, but we have another message from somebody we mentioned last time. So that's Gordon Roy. Oh, listen out for it. It's a classic Gordon line at the end of this. Hi, folks, says Gordon. I've just driven home from Port Ban, Kilberry, having stored up the Act series thus far with you as my travel companions for the three hour drive. I didn't realise there was an alternative offer of 30 minutes with Elaine, but was relieved to get a resolution to the quiz <laughs> about 10 miles from home. Despite leading an SU Scotland event at Lendrick Muir over Pentecost weekend, I did resist the fire-eating fire illustration this year, although I'll accept that you'll find that hard to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for what your conversations open up, Gordon. Oh, well Thank done. Thank you, Gordon. Thanks, Good to Gordon. hear from you. That's great. And then I'd forgotten, Jen, we'd had a bit of correspondence from Christine Hodge, I think. Yes. 
which had come into the info at Scottish Bible Society um, email. She says, Dear Fiona, Neil and Jen, we're very much enjoying and being challenged through listening to your podcasts. I was wondering if you could comment on a B character, either for Neil or yourselves, as I think he will be in the next podcast. It's Judas, who has a house in Straight Street. Oh. We hear nothing more about him as far as I know, yet it was he who took Saul into his home after his Damascus experience. What would Judas have known about that? Did Saul just turn up at his house? How did Judas feel? After all, Ananias was terrified and he just had to visit him. Looking forward to hearing your comments. Christy. Anyone got a thought on Judas from Straight Street? We'll, we'll get to him when we do Acts 9. But it's mm-hmm. interesting, isn't it, that the word Judas, which to us has become a bit like Jezebel, it's become a it's become a, a total insult, is is a very common name. It means just one who is Jewish or is it related to Judah but of course Judas Maccabeus is a great hero of Mm. Judaism so it's just a a good reminder that the word Judas doesn't carry the same overtones uh, and we will talk about him a bit further I've been doing quite a lot of thinking about Ananias actually Mm. for something else I've been writing for SBS so yeah I've been thinking a lot about what that might have been like Mm. to encounter this man who's been breathing out murderous threats Oh, Ananias who does the eyes thing of the yes, and Sapphira, yeah, exactly. Ananias, uh, who went to visit, so... yeah, he's incredibly brave, isn't he? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. huge. I've been to Straight Street as it happens, mm. that's nothing to do with anything, but we can come back to that. <laughs> it's, it's, you can tell us about it when we do Acts Nine. Yes, I don't want yes, to be really pedantic, but it's Aeneas. Yes. That goes to what did I say, Ananias? Yeah, you said Ananias, which is the person that drops dead. So he's got one less N in his name. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, Aeneas. I'm now, I don't, it's not that I don't believe you. I've got A-N-A-N-I-A-S. Really? That's interesting. Yes, in the new international version. Oh, that's interesting that they've gone for a different name. Hmm. Who knew? Anyway, Christine, keep your ears peeled because we will talk further about that in the next uh, next but one episode, I think. Uh, in the meantime, though, please do keep the correspondence coming. It's great. It's really good to hear from people. That's outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or obviously you can find us via the SBS socials. And uh, we will make a list of all those podcasts that people are listening to, make it available on the show notes uh, so that people can check out each other's recommendations. And we might tag some of them on social media. Because, I mean, if we can get a retweet from Tom Holland or Kate Bowler, oh, be that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Does yeah. does um, does mentioning these podcasts constitute unequivocal endorsement? No. No, because I'll put a sentence that says that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, though, for your concern. <laughs> Just, we'll get into hot territory with some of them. <laughs> Right, well, without further ado, it is time for Glover's Others. We have heard about Bilhah, Jethro, Aaron, Balaam... Joshua, Rahab, Jephthah's daughter, Palmoni Almoni, and Obed Edom. Who will be next? Who on earth are they? Where do they fit in? And what's their story? Glover's Others. B list characters you really don't want to miss. So. Because the secret's out, so the the connecting thread was it was one person from each book of the Bible, and I think we got as far as Second Samuel. I'm going to go for another connecting theme, and it's someone from the book of Genesis this time. That's not the connecting theme; it's got nothing to do with books. Uh, but one of my heroes is Hagar, because 
she is the first person ever to name God. And she does it after she's run away. She's a Sarai. Her mistress has dealt harshly with her and she runs away from Abraham and Sarah. And when she's running away, she goes to the wilderness and uh, she sees a well, which is called Beer Laheleroi, which means uh, I have seen God, I think. Um, And I, I just find her story so entrancing because in a sense, she's, she's, definitely off to the side she's an outsider Ishmael is going to be a troubling character and yet it's impossible I think to read Hagar's story and not feel sympathy for her and actually probably feel that in this particular incident Sarah is the one who's the the less sympathetic of the two characters so I love her because she's an outsider I love her for that moment when she names that well and and sees God and I think as well she is a reminder that you may think that you have reached the very end of the road, but there is still a future for you. And she reminds us of that. Thank you very much. I think you've mentioned her before as being someone you're quite drawn to. Yeah, um, often uh, civil rights campaigners, particularly women, used to write uh, in America, used to hang a sign around their neck saying, I am Hagar, which is really poignant. Mm, Yeah, People would be slaves. Thank you. If I may just say as well, I'm enjoying the fact that you're doing quite a mixture of gender. Mm, thank you. In this trip through. Well, thank you for that. Uh, last time we spoke about threats to the church coming from lack of integrity, persecution and distraction. And today we encounter the first person to be martyred for um, their faith in Jesus. As we read about Stephen, we're reading Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through to chapter 7, verse 60. So for Rachel and for others who like to take the time to read the passage at this point, now is the point to pause the podcast as you do that. How did we get on? What are we making of this? this it's the sort of second big sermon, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. In the book of Acts. I, I made, it made me realise that I've not spent enough time reading Stephen's sermon. Mm-hmm. I think I focused on what happened before and obviously when he dies. I, I was I was I was really blown away by the sermon. It was just brilliant. Well done, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was like um, <clears throat> good job. Um, it was just a beautiful story. Yes. It's the way way he tells it, and he goes, um, you know, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Passover, desert, tent, temple, and then that's what they've been accusing him of, that he's mm. going to destroy the, t- the temple. Mm-hmm. And then, then he reveals that Jesus is the temple. You know, this is, you know, this is, this is the place, this is the place where God is here on earth in Jesus. And this is what you've done. And his accusation is so, so harsh. Um, and, but I, I just thought the whole flow of the story, I'd, I'd never noticed how well done it was before. I got a beautiful overview of the whole Bible until Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great. he kind of leads them along, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. In things that they will have no grounds for disagreeing with. And I noticed he started off being inclusive, our, and then increasingly it's you. Uh huh. Which you're always uh-huh. told not to do when you preach and teach, isn't it? You always use inclusive language. That it's <laughs> us. It's us. But he's like, this is you. This is what you've done. And he. Is that verse 51 uh, where he says, you stiff-necked people? Is that the point at which he turns? I think it might even, I think it might even be earlier than that. He's talking about our up to that point, I think. Awkward pause. 
I know. Plus we all <laughs> check for the change of the pronouns. Yeah. There's definitely there's definitely a point at verse fifty one. Yeah. Oh, isn't that's, it? that's uh, definitely yeah. a turn, that's isn't a whole it? Pivot. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I, I love I love this passage as well. I can't believe that a number of commentators call it rambling. I think George mm. Bernard Shaw was really critical of it. And I mean he would know about rambling. <laughs> would he? Yeah. No, I'm not I'm not the kind of person who will just go oh, it's the Bible, so it must be the best ever. Because I think there are bits of the Bible that, well, I think Jonah chapter 2 is is deliberately boring. But um, this is great. This is a stunning piece. And, um, you know, let, let's take it. Um, I, th- I think sometimes Luke does edit, but let's just imagine for the moment, this is, this is pretty close to what Stephen actually said. It's a remarkably dignified, thoughtful speech. It, it reminds me of Nelson Mandela's speech when he was condemned and eventually went to prison for terrorist offences. I remember one of my theology teachers once, or biblical studies teachers once said, there's no way that a condemned man would have that level of composure. But actually, Nelson Mandela is a very good example of, of someone who does. And I think there are there are three kind of themes running through it all at the same time. One is kind of the sense of God's plan. God's plan will not be thwarted. God is doing a thing. The the second theme that runs through it is the idea that what John Stott calls the missionary God who is always on the move and will not mm-hmm. be held down by temples or any other human institutions. So it's Abraham, it's on the move, it's Exodus on the move. And then the third theme is, and I'm sure this is the bit where they did go, mm, this is a bit uncomfortable, is he always draws out where these people had opposition, sometimes from Egypt, but in the majority of cases from their own people. So he highlights the fact that Moses, for example, they said to him, what have you got to do with us? You're a murderer. Uh, Or he highlights the fact that it was Joseph's brothers, the patriarchs, who turned on him. And it's done very subtly, but by the time you've got to Aaron and the false idol, I think it's pretty clear that we understand that he is heightening the opposition that has always come to God's purpose from God's own people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe that's George Bernard Shaw's problem. I don't know, because I, I I don't know what you're referring to in terms of where that, that comment comes from, Neil, but but maybe it's understanding the context of the audience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what he's doing rhetorically yeah, there. Yeah. And also the comment that you know, a condemned man wouldn't have the ability, the set of mind to speak like this, but the first 15, something's happened to Stephen before he starts to speak. You know, the, the comment, um, they all looked at him, they saw his face, mm-hmm. was like the face of an angel. Yes. Now, I, I, I was wondering, what, is, what does that actually mean? I mean, most people looking at him don't, haven't met an angel. <laughs> so yes. it's not as it's a standard, standard version of this is what you look like when you look like an angel. Mm-hmm. Something had happened to him, mm. I, I presume in his relationship with God, that 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 was that was shining out of him that uh, Jesus was mm-hmm. was seen just by looking at him a bit like Moses when he yes had to put the veil over his head at night um that's what it I've made me friend. think of was Moses and mm-hmm. it's particularly poignant because they're accusing him of being disloyal to Moses and yet he's more like Moses than anything else yes, yes. yeah Yes, and it it causes. I've been writing something else this morning about the curse of knowledge. You know that thing where we make assumptions about what other people know, and we make assumptions about our own truth. I suppose 
you know, they're so trammeled by by what they believe to be right that they can't even countenance the possibility of what he's saying, which is quite a logical argument. You know, in in a dispassionate, logical conversation, they would step back and say, oh, wait a minute, maybe we should consider this. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's right, what he's saying about what happened to all these patriarchs. And also that they see him looking like that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then, but then they don't consider, they don't take into, in that into consideration as they listen to what he says. Yeah. And then there's that other wee comment before that as well that... um that everybody was disputing with him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they couldn't resist the wisdom and the mm. spirit with which he spoke. Yes, I just thought, imagine being—it's like it's being—it's being hated by loads of people for for what you are or what you believe, but then people are drawn to you. Mm-hmm. That's really mm-hmm. very unusual, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you if you if you're angry with someone for what they believe, it's unusual to but to be drawn to them. But from their wisdom and grace, because you, it's usually their whole person, isn't it? It just irritates you. Maybe maybe this is just me. No, I know I know what you mean, but isn't there something deeper down even that's maybe drawn to him? You know, there's almost like two layers. There's almost like the, well, there uh, must be, yeah. yeah, and and that's what makes him different. There's there's something. It is Jesus in him that is causing this attractiveness. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. But there's an unwillingness, isn't there? An unwillingness to let that that go into the other parts of, of who they are yeah because because that was the thing I, I kind of picked out this time we, we tend to associate him well I tend to associate him with this very long sermon and then obviously the, the martyrdom itself but he's consistently described as being full of grace of being full of wisdom of being having the power of the Holy Spirit do you know he, and he's he's performing signs and wonders yeah, yeah. just prior to all this and in, in verse 8 of chapter 6 and remember, um, this is a man who's chosen to be on the congregational board. The, correct. He's, the, he's, doing, he's doing the tables. Yep. Yeah, he's the yep. practical mm-hmm. guy, and mm-hmm. yet he's full of wisdom and theological insight. I mean, seeing that thread all the way through of God's plan, and done so subtly. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the move from Abraham to, yeah, there's a temple, but, but actually we don't really need a temple. But then, But then I think, Jen, if I'm understanding what you're getting at, Right. I mean, what we're seeing is it's not just about the the knowledge that he had, or his learning. It's about something that God is doing through him in that moment. It's it, it's so Jesus is so much in him. The Spirit is so in him that he physically looks unhuman. Mm-hmm. Is that is that or or maybe more mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. than any than many of us any of us have ever looked? Yeah. Yeah. What was it about his face? Is it that? Is it peace, love, joy, hope in the face of death and hatred? Because it, there's not even a comment like that about Jesus when he faces his end. Uh huh. I mean, obviously, was I mean, obviously, the thief on the cross was like could see in Jesus yeah. that he was Jesus. But there's no comment, is there? Like, like when Jesus was taken to the cross, he looked like. He looked like an angel. Mm-hmm. He? Mm-hmm. It's actually his humanity that's commented on more, isn't it? The, mm-hmm. His beating and his his pain. And yeah, I think that's quite interesting, Jen. What you're saying. Like, I mean, there are some very obvious parallels with Jesus. So, um, the fact that he looks up and sees heaven open when we come to that, the bit that he says, "Forgive them that they do not know what they do." Now, what's really interesting is that that phrase, "Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do." 
actually probably well almost certainly wasn't in their the original Luke's gospel it it was added later on now it may be because it was a historical fact but it may be because people saw almost the death of Jesus through the lens of Stephen having having said that but what's interesting is that with Jesus and I want to be careful how I say this it's it's clear that with Jesus people are prepared also to say things like um, and then he said, I thirst, or, and then he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a, it's almost essential to the death of Jesus that it has that level of raw, unvarnished suffering. All those elements are completely missing with, with Stephen. And what we get is this kind of, I don't know, super, I think you said at the moment, at one point, more than a human, that, that, that glow. And there are, there are differences in as much as, you know, the the account of Jesus it's very much going through the the Roman process, isn't it? Whereas this this to me feels much more mob not mob rule because they they are they are falling I suppose what they think is right in terms of stoning him, but they just take the law into their own hands and do it. Yeah, isn't there something in the Gospels that they weren't allowed to put someone to death? Exactly. And now they but, are. Yeah, because isn't that why? Yeah, isn't that why there were there were the various trials and so on, and yet somehow there just seemed to be, yeah, taking. I would, I would love to know Stephen's story before this, mm. before he's elected to be the serving the food. Where had he been? What had he done? Had he seen Jesus? Had he? How did? Was he one of the ones that became a follower in the early days? I, it would just be fascinating to imagine what might have been and what brought. What was his story that made him so close to Jesus that he looks like an angel? He he's able to tell this incredible story, and then. He, and then his reaction to his own death. Yes, and and he because he's mentioned, isn't he? When the when when the seven are chosen, he's mentioned first. So it's Stephen, and then there's the list of the the others, which I mean is maybe because of what subsequently happens to him, isn't it? But I mean, it's, it's an obvious too. point, but he must have really studied the scriptures. Yeah, I mean, the, those must have just been things that he lived and breathed to be able to quote them. Uh, there's a quotation there that probably comes from Amos in there. Um, and and also to understand the essence that that God is always on the move that he he's not taken up into detail he has a scholars would call it biblical theology he has a an idea of the big picture that's going on. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Saul is watching all mm. of this, and there's, there's significance in that, isn't there? I mean, again, I feel as though I always come to this with a as a dramatic person as a dramatic moment. That's really significant, isn't it? That Saul is amongst all that. He's holding the jackets. He's observing. He's approving the killing. And there's this feeling that we've lost this incredible speaker and activist and leader called Stephen. And you might go, "This is terrible. We've we've lost this incredible guy." But unbelievably, his death actually then leads to. Well, arguably, outside of, definitely outside of the twelve, the greatest apostle of them all, and precipitates the persecution. And I mean, I'm mm. jumping, I'm going into verse, it's uh, so chapter eight here, yeah. but it does precipitate something that, on the one hand, seems terrible, and in, to have been in the midst of it must have felt terrible, but actually has the 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 impact of doing what Jesus has said will happen that the, the gospel will go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, doesn't yeah. it? Suddenly, they're propelled out. I once heard Eric Alexander preach on this, but. He was the minister of the Tron, wasn't he? A long, long time ago. Yeah, he died recently, didn't he? Yeah, and he said, uh, once Stephen had seen heaven, he was wasted for this world forever. 
Mm-hmm. That, that that was it. He, he he'd seen it and he was he was there and he was, had to go. Uh-huh. Huh. And what a and what a privilege for God to give you that vision before you actually mm-hmm. breathe mm-hmm. your last. Mm-hmm. And I loved. I haven't. I've been trying to avoid Tom Wright because he was often quoted, but I I did read. <laughs> I did read his comment on this, and um, he said he often. He said you often we often imagine like a wee door in the sky, like and Stephen seeing a wee glimpse, which I thought yeah that's how I was imagining it, but he said it's more like being on top of a mountain when the wind blows all the clouds away. And you can see right down into the valley and the roads with the cars and the villages and the smoke coming up the ch- up the chimneys from the houses, and it, it's a whole re- revelation of that other dimension where Jesus has already gone. Uh, so it's as if Stephen is seeing something. Nobody else can see this, obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's his whole perspective. It's not just a wee door in the sky. Mm-hmm. It's it's everything. He, he doesn't mm-hmm. see anything else. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really helpful. That, no, that's brilliant, isn't it? Because it it does it makes it makes it and it's, it reminds me a bit of you know that bit in Second Corinthians where it's the you know putting your fixing your eyes on the eternal and and thinking of what's happening is the momentary troubles. There's something of that to it, isn't it? The the, the human part of us very much wants to focus on the drama of what's going on and the injustice of that, and oh, aren't these terrible people that are doing this thing it, without seeing that kind of eternal perspective that says but but the 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 situation for Stephen is is incredible the 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 purposes that come out of that event have an eternal significance in terms of of Paul and and his ministry but also the the spread of the gospel more widely there's a there's a lovely detail about the bit where he goes into heaven and he sees Jesus standing now previously when we've heard that verse and Jesus himself quotes it when he's under trial. He says, you'll see the son of man sitting at the right hand, but this is the son of man standing at the right hand. And I, I mean, we, we, this is pure speculation, but I love the idea that Jesus might be standing up to welcome him. You know, yeah. that as, as Stephen's being martyred, Jesus, I'm not going to sit down here. I'm going to stand up for this because this is, this is such a big moment. And I, I'm not going to be, I mean, it, it wouldn't be like that, but I'm not going to be casually reclining whilst this is going on. I'd never noticed that before, Neil. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have to give the credit to John Stott. Oh, <laughs> well done. Well done. I I mean, it's a bit prosaic, but the thing, the thing I thought about that was it's quite a lot of detail to be able to articulate in that moment. Because mm. I think I'd be like, is it the right hand or the left hand? So that's mm. a bit flippant. I don't mean it flippantly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, am I wrong in thinking... Sure, I can't remember where I read this, but for the Pharisees, particularly, were, were they not striving to have a vision of God? Is I'm sure I'm sure I've read about Paul's conversion. That was one of the things. Where he, as a Pharisee, he was striving to have this glorious vision of God, and so on the road, when he sees Jesus or sees God, he, he thinks this is it. This is what I've been striving for all my life. And then to his horror, oh no, it's Jesus. And and so is this is this the same here that Steve, Stephen's experiencing this while the people who would be wanting that to happen for themselves mm-hmm. are, are are killing him? Would, would, would the people who were watching him think, why is he having this moment with God when that's what we are longing for? I could be completely wrong. I did read it somewhere. I can't remember at the moment where it was. Yeah, I, I think, I think that, 
that's quite a fascinating thing to think about, though, isn't it? It comes back to that point about, you know, the, why are they not why are they not listening and understanding? Well, it's even more deliberate, isn't it? At this, they uh-huh. covered their ears. It's almost like do not. But it, but there's something about it so frightening because, um, I I was having a conversation with someone recently, and I, I said to them, and I was really worried about saying a certain thing to them about a choice that they'd made. And they just screamed at me, don't say that, don't say that. And I said, oh, sorry. And they said, no, I'm telling you that because I know it's true. And, and there's almost a, I, I feel that they cover your ears. Don't say this anymore because we know, we actually know it's true. Yes. Yes. So why yeah. don't they stop? There's, there's something about we want to be confirmed in our godlessness sometimes. We almost want to go the foot. We can't stop ourselves. We're past the point of no return. I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's actually they, they don't believe that Stephen's forthcoming prayer, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they do. It's almost like they don't believe that prayer could ever be answered. Uh-huh. And I, I I wonder about that prayer and wonder, does God answer that prayer? I'd like to think he does. I don't think this is just posturing. I think this is a genuine prayer. Lord, please forgive them their sin. They don't know what they're doing. And God at that moment is going to be receptive to to Stephen, you would have thought. And maybe just as we discover that, you know, maybe many of those who became Christians at Pentecost were actually part of the same crowd that had killed Jesus. And, and Peter says that, you killed them. So I wonder if some of this crowd here will end up becoming some of the the folks who joined the Jerusalem church. Hmm. Yeah. Can I just ask you about when you're quoting that verse 60, Neil, you're saying don't hold this sin against them. Mm. But the couple of versions I've read, it's Lord, don't hold. It doesn't say, it says don't hold this sin against them. It doesn't say they don't know what they're doing. Oh, that's sorry. No, that's... you're right. So I yeah, printed, that's what mine says as I, well. I was thinking. No, that. I added it. What happened is I printed it out on a page and that verse is right at the very bottom. And I just presumed that it had the next part in it, but it doesn't. Of course, it's Jesus that, that says that. Yeah. So thanks. I mean, it's still reflective of Jesus, yeah. but he doesn't yeah. actually say the same uh-huh. words. As no, Jesus. he doesn't. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. 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 And actually, one of the things I I like about how that comes across that phrase is it's quite it's it's not it is a plea, but it's also almost a command, a a demand Mm -hmm. of God. Yeah, there's an authority in it. I think as I read it, I love the fact he falls asleep. Oh no, because it it speaks of a I mean it speaks of a con continued calmness. So it doesn't say he died; it says he fell asleep. Yeah, and I'm reminded of that bit where. Jesus, uh, with Jairus's daughter, says, "Stop weeping. She isn't dead. She's only fallen asleep. Well, she has died, yeah. but um, and that um, that phrase, falling asleep, I once analysed it in First and Second Kings because I was really interested that some of the kings it says uh, they fell asleep, and other kings it simply says they died, and there does seem to be a pattern which is that if you were related to David, you got to fall asleep, whereas other mm. people died. The exception was Ahab, actually." Um, who got to sleep, which I think is because he repented at one point. Um, but I love the the idea of falling asleep. It, it suggests, that once again, this isn't the end. You know, we're, we're not going to use the word death here. You have fallen asleep. Mm-hmm. You, you it's a transition wake. from one, yeah. one stage to another, yeah. isn't it? Yes. And yes. It, it, as long as you don't use it as a a euphemism, mm. as a, uh-huh. like pretending it hasn't happened. We all know he's dead. No, yes. it, but it's okay to use the term to describe what's happening to us in God's eyes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So what does all this mean for us? I mean, I'm verging into takeaway stage, but 
I suppose I'm, it's a step before takeaway. So it's not it's not so much what does it mean for you personally, but what does this have to say to us as church today? I would love people to look at us and think. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. I want people to look at us as Christians and and see the faces of angels. Wouldn't it be good, amazing if people looked at me or you, either of you, and just something tangibly different about us because we were mm -hmm. full of the Holy Spirit, but not in a, you know, like a, like a painting or a statue that you know that makes you alien and unreachable. But we look like angels, and that means we're more approachable and we're more real. And don't you think that ever happens for you, Jen? I've got no idea. Well, nobody's ever said. I think that's one of the rules. You probably don't know. Oh, you look like mm -hmm. an angel today. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's just a, it's just my makeup. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I don't. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Don't you ever though have that sense that that the Holy Spirit is working through you in a way that you had maybe not planned mm. or anticipated or couldn't just be of you oh yes yes but um, it's this it's the physical nature of this it's actually yes. affects his face because <laughs> i do aware i have a very grumpy looking face when i'm not <laughs> concentrating on engaging with people there's another phrase for it that my daughter often uses yeah, yeah no it, it's <laughs> yeah, coming sure we're not is. saying it but we're thinking it <laughs> but we're not um we're not talking about that in the podcast um it's interesting the one thing i've come close to is I mean, I have we haven't talked about why I was off work for such a long time, but my mental health was very, very poor, and uh, I was unwell and needed lots of help. And a lot of my friends responded by being really, really surprised that I would be, I would be laid low mm. and, and uh -huh. incapable of doing so much because of anxiety. And that makes me think actually they looked at me and they thought I was calm and peaceful and laid back. I wasn't really, which is the mm -hmm. kind of opposite of it. Yes, it that's, is. that's like seeing seeing something on the outside that doesn't reflect the inside. But I don't know where that takes me. So I, I don't want to look unreal. I don't want to. I don't want to come across as, oh, you're so angelic. It doesn't reflect who you really are. But so it has to come from an internal change. That's the whole point. Yes, it, it, nothing can be shown to other people unless it's really happened inside. Mm -hmm. And obviously for Stephen, something happened. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was a momentary thing. Maybe it's not, you can't be you can't be at that all the time. Yes, and and in the moment of extremity. Yeah, I mean, I think it happened all the way through to the moment he looks and sees heaven open, doesn't it? And so the other thing about it is, he's not babbling rubbish. I mean, he's he's uttering this utterly coherent, subtle, beautiful. It's a it's um it's a surprising speech as well. But but so very often when. When people talk about the whole the whole story of Scripture, which is, if I'm honest, I, I struggle with that phrase sometimes. I know N.T. Wright um, bases a lot of his writing on this, but I, I struggle with it because um, the Bible itself doesn't often use a phrase like that of itself. Here is a story of, of Scripture, but it's a slightly different one from the one we usually tell. So the one we normally tell is we began in grace, we fell like Adam, we required a saviour and Jesus came and lifted us up again. It's a, it's that story. Now, I, I do believe utterly in that, that story. But this is a slightly different whole story of scripture. It's saying God has always been surprising and moving outside of institutions, calling people to himself and the institution will always 
rebel, will always attack that person. But you have to understand that God is doing a new thing. And if you don't, then you're stiff-necked. And that, that's a different way of reading the whole of the Bible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it, it's still utterly compelling. And, but, and some of that surely is about audience. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I say that having spent quite a lot of time in the Book of Acts recently, you know, watching how Paul speaks as as Acts goes on, he he kind of hones his message, doesn't he, over a number of different incidents, and then of course when he then moves into a more gentle context, it changes again. So there is something about audience, isn't there, and and the honing of how you tell the story. Yeah, I wonder if we miss the point about things like the temple. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you trace that, and again, yeah. Bible Project's really good for this, actually. If you trace things like the, the, the line of of temple through scripture, mm-hmm. that's a really fruitful exploration, isn't mm-hmm. it? And when you look at a book like Ephesians, where there's there's a lot of talk about being built as as the as the temple, mm-hmm. as the people of God. Yeah, yeah. I think what comes across as well is that Stephen, he loved these stories. Mm-hmm. He loved the scriptures, the Torah. Mm-hmm. I imagine. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, he's... He would have been steeped in this from his yes. childhood. And that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. That that makes him able to tell this story because he knows the story so well. And I also love that he, he retells the little stories mm-hmm. to make the whole story. Yeah. And I think the, the way you describe the whole story, Neil, sometimes that, that comes across as if the little stories don't matter. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. What Stephen uh-huh. does is shows that the little stories are all part of the big story. The way he talks about Joseph, the way he talks about Moses as a baby and his parents abandoning him and being brought up in the palace. Yeah, we don't um, we don't get that detail. It said he's at one point he says he's schooled in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. I checked, that's not an Exodus. He's I think yeah, that's a, uh, yeah. Was there not something about beautiful in the sight of God or something that he talked about Moses? Yes, it was something about his um when he was born, yeah. he was a something child. Uh-huh. There was something about him as a baby, which when I've talked or spoken on that on that bit about Moses, I've always said, "Well, I'm sure all the all the parents thought their babies were beautiful." Yeah, you know that they were all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I don't want to criticize the NIV too much, but the original text I mean it says he was beautiful in the sight of God, uh, verse twenty. He was beautiful before God, and the NIV has translated that as he was no ordinary child. That's. Yeah. Flat uh, yes, but then with a footnote that says fear in the sight of God. Okay, I'll let them off. Well, and then Tom Wright, Tom Wright's version. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's got his own version, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Bible translation. Um, noble looking child. I think my, my reflection on what you're saying about the little stories and the big stories, though, is, is the other thing he does in the way that he tells it is he, he writes himself into it. I, I mean, he does that kind of overtly towards the end, doesn't he? But by by... But even the use of the word us and the sense of him retelling the community story, he he brings Jesus into it, he brings his own experience, he brings them into it. You know, so whereas I think sometimes that that you know, what you articulated, Neil, that that kind of standing back and, and making the points, it, it fails to sometimes make the connection to say and we are part of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean it it does, because it says, you know, you know, all of sinned and so on, but but it, it yeah. He it feels like he is re- he's retelling the community story, but he's he's making it make sense for the moment that they find themselves in. Do you mean in the sense that he's kind of aligning himself with Abraham and Moses and Joseph and kind of aligning his persecutors with the ones who are attacking those characters? Yeah, I feel it feels quite immediate yeah. Yeah. as he tells it. The, the other thought I had, so this is jumping back a wee bit, but Jen, when you were talking about, you know, the, the angelic face thing, mm. the, the other thought is is that 
again and again in these early chapters of Acts, I'm aware of there must it keeps talking about signs and wonders it keeps talking about people being healed it keeps talking about mm. these things that are happening and it's almost dismissed so in, in chapter six there when it says that he um verse eight of chapter six Stephen a man full of great of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among people yes <laughs> no detail of course he did <laughs> of course yeah. he did but yeah. do you know so I, I sense there must have been a spiritual atmosphere mm-hmm. or a spiritual temperature that was that was that was increased mm-hmm. in a way that maybe when we read it we, we impose our own kind of like wow this must have been amazing if his face looked yeah. like that but gosh it wouldn't be amazing if we were seeing signs and wonders all the time yeah. and sometimes we are sometimes we do I'm not dismissing that yeah and I th- I th- your question a wee while ago was what does this mean for us yeah that really all all that really matters is being that close to Jesus mm-hmm. at the end of the day that's what's going to make the difference how, well how, yes yeah. and it puts a fresh yeah. perspective on how we view life and death Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how we view persecution. You mean in the sense because that much, we don't see well, it as much a as I would disaster. like to say, well, yeah, much as I would like to say, I would, you know, be strong in the face of persecution. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And much mm-hmm. as I, you know, absolutely every day, I'm thankful for the fact that I have eternal life in in Christ. I quite like my worldly life now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the 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 courage with which he says he turns on them and says, "You stiff-necked people." He knows what that is going to mean for him. Mm-hmm. And and yet he's mm-hmm. utterly prepared to do it, and and he has that lovely sense of he gets to see where he's going almost before he goes. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't yeah. know that when he says you stiff neck people. All he knows is I'm gonna. He's it's all in, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. all in. It's not because he knows it's not going to work out well. No, no. Well, it is. <laughs> Maybe he but, does know it's going to work out. Yeah, well. Maybe in, that, that's in that bigger <laughs> sense. But but it's <laughs> it's it's like. It's like subtle, you know, I'm going to tell a story about Moses being criticised by his own people, but I'm not going to say anything. I'll just let you do the work. Or I'm going to tell that story about Joseph uh-huh. and his brothers. I'll let you do the work. And then suddenly he just goes, you stiff-necked people. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's the punchline, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. In the in poetry, it's sometimes uh, there's a phrase, uh, it's called the volta. It's the line where it all turns. And uh, this is the volta. It's the moment it, it all turns. It's not the versa. Am I making that up? Volta. You could be right. It's not for the first time I might have got it wrong today. It's a, it's a turn in a sonnet you have a turn. Yeah, it's versa. That That's the context I heard it in. So yeah, Is that I, right? Yeah, yeah. go with you. No, no, well, no, yeah, I'm going to look it up as we speak so somebody else can speak whilst I do a bit of frantic Googling. There's a bit in Dead Poet Society, the film, I haven't quoted that for a long time, um, <laughs> where Robin Williams is the teacher mm. to say, quote somebody and it's you know, you don't want to cu- when you cut. You don't want to come to die and discover you hadn't lived. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm thinking here with Stephen is, you don't want to come to die and discover you didn't actually know Jesus. No. Because at the end, it's Jesus. That's mm. where we're going. That's who we're going to. And that's if we don't know him now, will we know him then? I don't know where I'm going with that, but well, it reminds me of when he said about you know many will say Lord, Lord. Yeah, you'll say I didn't know you. It is, in fact, the Volta, Neil. It's the Volta. Many apologies. Well, I, I, See, you shouldn't have been so quick to back well, down. No, just because you know about these things, and I was wrong I don't about. Know. Sometimes I, I, I make stuff up. <laughs> Volta, which would make sense of turning, wouldn't it? Oh, Volta. It is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. What about our ta- our personal takeaways? 
Oh, it's just, it's about the overarching purpose of God, isn't it? And it, it's such mm-hmm. a glib phrase. I hate that phrase. It's sometimes, it's actually the point that you made earlier, Jen. It's a it's a way of telling the story which takes in all the details, which I love. It doesn't obliterate the small narratives to, to squeeze them into the big narrative. It holds them all together. And it's a surprising narrative, you know, about the missionary God, the, move, the God of movement. So, yeah, I would... It's that takeaway. It's that purpose of God in the small. Um, oh, there's a there's a book, and I I almost haven't read it because I can't stand the title, which is called According to Plan. It's an overview of the Old Testament, and I just I hate that idea that the Old Testament gets squeezed. This doesn't do this. I I am so annoyed at George Bernard Shaw for being so pompous about this speech. <laughs> It is so good. What is your context for George Bernard Shaw? John Scott, I have to confess, I I have two. I have one massive commentary on Acts, which is called the socio-rhetorical commentary on Mass on Acts. I find it utterly dry and uninspirational. (laughs) And the other one is John Stott's Bible Speaks Today, and that's the one I've just gone to all the time. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's John Stott. Okay, okay. I don't know where I'm going to look that up for next time. That's going to be my takeaway to go and look up the George Bernard Shaw. My other one is, um, yeah, just that, just I suppose echoing what Neil said there about the, the small stories and just seeing myself in what I recognise to be God at work in our mm. contemporary context, I think it's probably a helpful thing. Jen, what about you? Yeah, I think my mind is the reminder, really, more a reminder that the, the or I think Stephen loved Jesus and then loved the scriptures. And that need, it needs to be in that order. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful. Yeah, and and actually, it was never a it was never a choice between the two, was it? No. The end. Mm-hmm. Each yes. the need to be uh-huh. in that order. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Not yeah. biblical worshippers. No. No. Indeed. Neil, are you looking up? I'm looking up George Bernard Shaw. Pygmalion. Do you think it is that your guess? <laughs> no, because Pygmalion was my fair lady, and it's, I'm quite sure he doesn't talk about. It. Let's have a look. It's lots of people criticised it, and I just want you. Oh, you're just so pompous, um, William William Neal, who I do like. He's Scottish. He called it a subtle and skilful proclamation of the gospel. Um, Debelius, who I normally do like, he called it. No, that's not the composer. The irrelevance. Uh, George Bernard Shaw. Oh, it's in his preface to and- Androcles and the Lion. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Calling Stephen a quite intolerable young speaker, a tactless and conceited bore. Oh. <gasps> Outrageous. Even though he's a face of an angel. Outrageous. I mean, I, I'm not sure that George Bernard Shaw is really considered to be the greatest writer of all time either, though. Yeah. Just saying. Is he, the, is he Man and Superman? Yeah. 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 And yeah, yeah. My Fair Lady, etc. But he's very wordy. Anyhow. We're, we're Team Stephen. <laughs> we're yep. Team Stephen. Do you know what Stephen means? It means crown. There mm. you go. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Well... Thank you for um, giving us your thoughts on on all of that. Uh, let's check back in again, see how we're getting on with um, incorporating ourselves into that story next time. Uh, Jen, time for some news. What's the gem? Trying to keep up with reports, trends, research findings and the latest thoughts? No time to read or listen to all that valuable content? Look no further. What's the Gen will keep you up to date, in touch and on the ball. What's the Gen? your guide to current thinking. I do. I feel quite, I feel I've been drawn into the story of Stephen so much that it seems a bit odd to talk about a bit of research. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, a wee bit of research called... Um, 
spiritual state of the world's children uh, by one hope. But I think what I re- I didn't read the whole um, commentary on the spiritual state of the ho- children of the whole world. It was more a reflection of the cohort of young people in the research uh, from the United States. Um, so it's looking at Gen Z, which is our current group of teenagers, um, sort of from 11, 12 to mid-20s, early 20s. Now, it's important when we talk about these um, generations, like Generation Z, it doesn't mean that everybody in that age group is like that. It's just quite helpful to see what the influences are. So I do want to run through just, just what they think the major influences at the moment are on uh, Gen Z. I hope this doesn't take too long. I'll try, try and be quick, but not rushed. Um, so there's seven. Okay, so the first one is they are they live in a very diverse culture, but they do want to avoid confrontation. So they try and avoid declaratory statements, you know, like making, so they find that difficult. They are less religious than any other um, cohort before them. So only 25% uh, would be weekly at church. Not weekly as in being weak, but every week at church. So this is in America. Um, and, but they're not hostile to the church. Uh, they are finding God elsewhere. That's a quote. Authenticity really matters, as does anonymity on social media. So the reason for Insta stories, Snapchats that disappear after a few days. Uh, one in three of them would have multiple accounts on social media, including Finstas. And I don't know about Finstas. It's a fake Instagram account. Mm. And it's the one where you actually show yourself to be more real and you have far less followers than your real one, which is lots and lots of followers. Interesting concept. Um, Constantly connected generation, which is having an impact on their sleep and their mental health. Uh, Entrepreneurial. That's all I need to say. Um, Self-learning generation. Huge preference for watching media, collaborating and being creative when they learn. Uh, Three in five of them uh, were saying that. Um, And they're very ambitious. Financial maturity is more important to them than emotional maturity. I'm not going to delve into that too much, but it's still quite interesting. But Matt, what I'd like to take from this research um, is what it means for us as God's people and for the church as we spend time with this age group. Um, So there must be, there's a role for us as a church to to help the generation and ourselves to be compassionately expressive. That's my own phrase. So to be able to express what we believe, but in a compassionate way, rather than just avoiding uh, confrontational topics. Um, if, if there's lots of young people who feel they're connecting with God, but they don't think church is the place to do that, how are we connecting with them? Um, if they have lots to teach other generations about navigating social media, I feel, and and dealing with it so that you still have your authentic self being shown. Um, and if there's one of the things about have, being so connected online for this age group, if, it, if it's damaging their mental health and their sleep, one of the reasons maybe is because they never escape from that as in previous generations who could go home, shut the door and were cut off from everything. What are we doing as churches, God's people, to create those safe spaces of real community? And finally... And this is a big challenge for me as working for SBS and Children's and Young People's Resources. Uh, what does biblical learning look like if being visual, creative and collaborative is so important to this generation? It was a very interesting bit of research and lots lots of questions. I've only just read it. I've just come across it. So I need to go away and think more. And we'll put the link to that into the show notes. And maybe also just put those seven headings, Jen, yeah. into the show notes as well for people. Yeah. Fantastic. Good. 
Anybody recognise that and anybody they know? I think the challenge is I don't recognise it enough because I, well, I, I do recognise bits of it, but yeah. Remind me, what, what age are Gen Z again? Teenagers, so about 11 to about early 20s. Right, yeah. It's, it's, it's that thing you always do, Jen, of proper curiosity about how young people's mm. actual lives are. Yes, and it, it, as I said at the start, it's only this teach shows us what's influencing them. It doesn't say every single young person in that age group is like this, mm. but it, it helps us to explore with them what it means, what it's like to live in the culture that we're in at the moment. Yes, brilliant. Right. Well, listen. Thank you, Jen, for bringing us that. Thank you, Neil and Jen, both of you, for a challenging conversation once again. And uh, next time we're going to be talking about Acts chapter eight. So the whole of chapter eight next time. Uh, join us then for Outspoken Bible. The Outspoken Bible is a podcast from Scottish Bible Society. To find ways you can share the Bible, go to scottishbiblesociety.org.